This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 173. So for today's episode, I wanted to finally do the episode I'd been promising my listeners on composition and how it relates to your photography. Now, in the simplest of terms, composition is how elements of a photo are arranged. It can be made of many different parts or only a few select items. The key is how you, the artist, put these elements together within the framing of your camera and is what makes an image become more or less interesting to the viewer. But why is composition important in photography? Well, how often have you seen a photograph that looked like it was taken in an exotic location with an interesting subject, but it didn't, quote, do anything for you? The reason it didn't, quote, move you is quite probably because the composition was off. Composition is the most important part of an image and something that takes time to master. Most anyone can become technically proficient with their camera, but until you do master composition, your photography will be lacking and not create the desired emotion in the viewer. Everyone these days has a camera, whether it's a real camera or their smartphone. Everything is being photographed or filmed most all the time in today's day and age. The problem is, since so many people are snapping the same things all the time, and most of these images are just crappy snapshots, so they won't invoke any meaning to the viewer. They become mundane and lacking, and it's because even though the mo that most everyone has a camera these days, very few of them know anything about composition. If you learn to master composition in your photography and work hard to hone that skill, it is what will make you stand out as a photographer and help your business grow and be successful. So first, let's talk about composition concepts and principles. I am sure that a large share of the digital photographers out there don't know the concepts and principles of composition. And as a result, they will never make images that stand out or draw the viewer in. These elements are something to look for and will help you make interesting images that draw people in and tell a great story. When all of the concepts and principles of composition are leveraged together, they will make for aesthetically pleasing images that your audience will love. So what are the, some of the concepts and principles of composition? Well, first of all, we have lines. If you want to draw, draw attention to a specific part of an image, one of the best ways to do that is with lines. There is nothing like having a nice strong line pointing right at or in the direction of the subject to catch and draw the viewer's eye. The most common type of lines in a photograph are what we call leading lines. Now, leading lines can be 
one or more lines in a frame that draw the eye to the subject and keep it there so that the viewer takes in what is most important in the image, which is your intended subject, whether it's a person, a place, or a thing. Now, when it comes to lines, I try to bring them in from the corner because the corners are neutral and the leading lines don't cut away part of the frame the same way a hard line from the edge of the frame will. A river or a stream is a great way to bring leading lines as well as movement and even possibly color into your image. And converging lines can be the edges from multiple buildings or trees or other objects that help lead the eye where you want it to go. When they converge in the, center, or in the middle of the frame from all sides, that can make for a really strong and compelling image. Next, we have shape and form. Now, shape and form are similar elements of design, the main difference being that things with form are three-dimensional, having height, width, and depth. Photography is a 3D representation of a scene. So where a painting might have more shapes in it, a photograph typically has more forms. The more interesting the form, the more interesting the image. Forms can be geometric like a building or organic like a person or an animal. Then we have value. Value refers to how light or dark something is in a photograph. It refers to the shades of white, black, and gray. The beauty of photography is that you can use black and white shades to create powerful images. Oftentimes, photographers who are looking for vibrant colors or other dynamic aspects in a scene will forget to notice how many different tones lie within a potential frame. Although I love colors in a photograph, I sometimes choose to shoot or at least post-process in black and white and then view the image both ways to see which one I feel is stronger. There are times when the simplicity of black and white and various shades of gray will make the image more powerful to the viewer. Now, someone who is a master at black and white photography was Ansel Adams. And if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know I'm a huge fan of his work. He was definitely one of the giants in the photography industry. And I do often like to make my images black and white just because I feel it makes them more dramatic. Uh, the contrast just makes the images stronger or the story that I'm trying to tell stronger. So I do frequently use black and white post-processing techniques on finishing my images before I post them. Now, I'm not saying that there's no place for color. I do love color photographs as well, and I've taken many beautiful color photographs. But sometimes you just got to look at it both ways. Look at it in color, look at it in black and white, and see which one speaks to you more and might potentially speak to the viewer more. Next, we have space. The way you put forms and shapes together occupies space within a frame. This arrangement is the composition and also leaves empty or negative space around and between other forms. This negative space can become an interesting compositional element as well and can help set the tone 
for the image and to help convey the story that you're looking to tell. When you're looking for a shot, especially in urban areas or with portrait work, not only are the forms within the frame important, but the space that isn't occupied by these forms can be just as, as poignant. Keep in mind that when using silhouettes, these forms can look more like shapes and playing with them to make things look two-dimensional can also be a powerful tool in a photographic composition. Then we have color. Color, or part of learning about photography, is the study of color. Color is comprised of three parts, hue, value, and intensity. Those who use Adobe products will no doubt recognize that the hue is simply the name of the color, whether it's red, blue, green, or any other color. The intensity refers to the saturation, how bright and pure the color is, while the value refers to luminosity, how bright or dark the color is within the image. And you'll notice that in programs like Photoshop and Lightroom, you have hue, saturation, and luminosity sliders, as well as in many other photo editing programs. There are some basic color schemes that work well together. They're practiced daily by artists, graphic designers, and other photographers. These simple color theories can really help when you are looking for composition that will work. Remember to look at a color wheel from time to time. Study the different color theories, complementary colors, anagulous colors, even primary, secondary, and tertiary color schemes, as well as monochromatic other than black and white. When you have a better eye for color, you'll be able to more easily make better compositions as well. If you head to color.adobe.com, then you will find some really great ways to check different color schemes. This app will also show you other colors that work well with the dominant color in your photograph. It might help on the back end as you process an image when you want to process a certain color a little warmer or cooler to help it fit in with the predetermined aesthetic. Next, we have texture. Now, texture refers to the tactile element of something. In the case of a photograph, there isn't any one tactile feeling. All photos feel the same. As such, the texture refers to the look of how something is perceived to feel in the real world. If you're taking a photo of a cactus, there's a texture there that gives the viewer an idea what the cactus feels like. Compositionally, making texture a big part of a frame can really give the viewer a sense of a place. Texture can be the needles on the cactus, the roughness of a piece of metal in a frame, or even the rust on that metal in your image. All of these visual cues will help to convey the image to the viewer and help to make your images more impactful. Okay, so now let's talk about principles of composition. And the first one I want to mention briefly is rhythm. Now, rhythm creates movement by repeating patterns and shapes throughout the frame of an image in random or highly organized arrangements. 
A great example can be the little diamond pattern in a chain link fence or the pattern on mosaic tile or even stained glass in a church window. Next, we have balance. I always refer to balance as a teeter-totter. If you split your composition into halves, top and bottom, or left and right, does it feel like they belong together? Does one side feel like it has too much going on? This is a mistake that photographers frequently make, especially when they're first starting out. This doesn't mean that both sides have to be symmetrical, but if you have an object on one side that attracts the viewer's eye, the other side should have something to keep you interested in the whole image as opposed to just the dominant or larger object. Unbalanced images can hold the viewer's eye on one side of the frame instead of allowing it to take in and flow through the entire composition. Next, we have proportion. Now, proportion refers to the size of objects within a frame as they relate to one another. It can be utilized within a successful composition by exaggerating proportions in one way or another by changing the camera angle. The photographer can also position the subjects in such a way to make the differences in proportion the focus of the image. I have seen some really strong images where the photographer used proportion to create the compositional look they wanted by using the distance from the camera to the objects to make one look very large compared to the other, such as making it look like a model is holding the moon in her hand. So you can play around with this simple but very effective way to make your composition stronger and more engaging. And I've even seen wedding photographers do this. I've seen some really strong images where the photographer used the distance between the camera and the bride and groom to make the bride look like she was 50 feet tall and the groom was only inches tall when she was holding him in the palm of her hand. I've seen some really fun and interesting compositions created by photographers using proportion in their composition. So it might be something you want to play around with. Give it a try sometime. It can't hurt. There's an old saying, there's nothing really wrong that you try in photography. Trying is part of the learning process. Next, we want to talk about emphasis. Emphasis refers to how the elements of your composition guide the viewer to an intentional subject within the frame. To do this, the photographer can employ a variety of techniques. Playing with selective lighting helps to emphasize the subject that's being lit. Other ways to emphasize a subject include leading lines in proportion. Even the way that the photographer dresses or groups subjects can place emphasis within a frame. To give you an example, maybe the photographer, if they're photographing multiple people, might have one person wearing a specific color, like maybe a woman wearing a bright red dress that emphasizes her or makes her stand out more from the others in the group. And you have a similar thing in wedding photography, because as you know, generally the bride wears white and the bridesmaids wear all the same color dress, something other than white. It could be taffeta, it could be uh, lavender, it could be teal, it could be peach, it could be anything. But that is one technique 
to give emphasis to the bride is the fact that she's wearing a bright white dress while the rest of her bridal party are wearing some other solid color. Okay, so now let's talk about harmony. Harmony uses color, texture, lines, and other aspects of art to point out the similarities of subjects within an image. Harmonious images will often showcase how different objects are all the same and utilize something that all the objects have in common to do so. And there's different ways you can accomplish this. So again, it's something that you can play around with, with creating the harmony within your image. Then we have variety. Variety is the opposite of harmony. Not to say that it is chaos, but variety juxtaposes different objects together so that their differences are what brings interest to the photograph and the story being told. And it could be something as simple as, as having a young child and an elderly person in a photograph together, or a homeless person and a businessman that's walking by on the street. Now, movement within a composition is the photographer's ability to imply motion. Obviously, nothing within a still image is actually moving, but by the use of creative shutter speeds, panning or zooming with the camera, you can create an implied feeling of motion. This can be extremely effective when photographing any kind of racing or even something as simple as a person riding by on a bicycle. And I've seen some photographers do some fantastic work using panning and zooming show movement within their photographs. And it can make for some really strong and interesting compositions. So again, these are all techniques that you can practice for yourself. Now, let's go with, move on to the Gestalt principles of composition. And the first of these is similarity. Showcasing how things are alike can be a powerful tool within a composition. This can be done by grouping things with likeness together, such as texture, shape, color, value, or size. The viewer is often looking for a sense of unity within an image, so putting many things together that share common traits can help convey that satisfaction. Next, we have continuity. Continuity refers to how the shapes and lines within your image work together to lead from one to the other. The end of one shape should lead directly into the next shape or shapes. The word that I like to use to describe this is flow, and a lot of people use this term. Essentially, continuity describes how the objects within your composition flow from one position to the next. And generally, when you are setting up your composition, you want to keep in mind that you want to have this type of flow from one object to another and with the end destination for the viewer's eye being the primary subject. So a lot of times it's nice to have something on, say, the left side of the frame that will lead the viewer's eye to the right side of the frame, which is where your primary subject is. Now let's talk about closure. Closure is a difficult principle of composition to realize in photography. 
but the way that a composition is laid out can make the viewer see a more complete picture. A good example may be when you are photographing a large crowd of people who are mostly all wearing similar attire. Within that group, there may be several people not wearing the same attire, but the perception at first glance is that the entirety of the group is all the same. This is a basic trick that one's mind plays on us, where we just where just based on an initial glance, everything in a scene can look the same, when in reality they are not. And a good way to express this would be if you've seen any of the eye slash brain teaser puzzles that people post on like Facebook or something like that, where they give you a sea of numbers and you have to find the one number that's different or a shape that's different or something like that. So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about um, with closure. Now, proximity is when you put things together within an image, they will appear to be part of a greater whole or group. As an example, when you are photographing something using a telephoto lens. In doing so, you are able to compress the scene to make all parts of the frame appear closer in proximity. Two separate mountain ranges can look like they are part of the same mountain range, when in fact they may be hundreds of miles separating them. So that gives you an idea of how a telephoto lens can compress things and manipulate the proximity of two objects or multiple objects. Figure or ground. Figure or ground refers to the relationship between the main object and everything else in the frame. Typically, these objects may be people, wildlife, or maybe even a product. Traditionally, the goal of the photographer is to put these subjects in a place where they clearly become the dominant part of the image and then stand out from the background. In portrait, wildlife, and product photography, the approach of blurring those lines or camouflaging the separation between figure and ground is often achieved by using the depth of field or bokeh. In landscape photography, the approach is quite different. And what most people often seek front to back, sharpness from the foreground to the background of an image when doing landscape photography. So if shooting product photography or even macro, you might use an aperture like F4 or F2.8, or maybe even a super wide aperture if you have that kind of lens like an F1.2 or 1.4 for the separation between the objects. And the same is said in portraits. But in landscape or astrophotography, you would use an aperture of f8 or f16 to make sure that absolutely everything in the frame is in focus at the same time. Okay, so now I want to give you some tips for finding the right composition. First, we have inspiration and learning to see. Photography may have been your first creative outlet, but artistic vision takes time to develop and it doesn't usually begin right when you first pick up a camera. For me, I was a computer science major in college and uh, my exposure to the arts began when I was little to an extent. I had an uncle that gave me a camera to play around with when I was around four or five years old and I started taking pictures. Um, 
And I was interested in painting and drawing, although I wasn't very good at drawing myself. I had a lot of friends that were, and even my son Darren is very gifted at that. Um, but I never was myself. Now, as a result, I was exposed to a variety of different art mediums. I had a lot of friends that were artists, whether they were painters or sculptors or jewelry makers or tattoo artists. So I had a lot of exposure to different art mediums, artists, and their work. None of this was directly related to photography, yet it all helped to shape the way I see. As such, I encourage photographers to look at other forms of art. Take a painting class at a local gallery or college. Learn how to create and be creative with different mediums. Look at classical paintings and try to envision what the environment looked like when the artist created that particular painting. How would you compose something similar with a camera? How did they use light? Even though the people in the painting might be centuries old, what ideas can you incorporate from the work into your current photo shoot? What times of day have you seen lighting that is similar? Which locations have you vis visited that reminded you of that particular place? You can even find inspiration in abstract or impressionist painters as well. Look at the work of painters like Jackson Pollock. I'll bet you can start to see things in nature or man-made subjects that might look similar. What about if you shoot aerial photography with a drone? I constantly see things that remind me of a certain painting or painter. Once I see these, I am able to start envisioning how I will compose them so they look like the style of that painting. Now, my advice is that you look at more artwork outside of photography. It will help you with your composition and lead to you becoming a more successful photographer. I never spend my time only looking at other photographs. Paintings and sculptures are also a very powerful way to think differently about art and, in turn, about composition. Do your research and plan your shoot is step two. The more I photograph, the more I enjoy the spontaneity of just showing up somewhere and making the most of whatever shooting situation presents itself. However, there is something to be said for having at least a little idea of what you're trying to accomplish before you head out. During a recent trip to New York, I set off to photograph a scenic vista that we hadn't researched very well. What we thought was an easy mile and a half hike ended up taking 35, 30 to 45 minutes with much of it being a steep uphill <laughs> climb. Needless to say, we missed a nice sunset as we were sweating and <laughs> heaving somewhere below the summit. A little more research on my part would have allowed me to plan for the appropriate time that it would take to hike to the top, and I could have possibly created some much better images if I had had the time to find the best compositions. With portrait shoots, it's important to know what kind of location you will be bringing clients into before you photograph them so that you'll know where you need to place them to get the perfect shot. The last thing you want is to be looking for the best spot to shoot when your client is ready to have their photo taken. This can be a waste of time and result 
and you losing the best light. Planning ahead can save a lot of headaches later on. All right, I'm going to take a short break right here. And then when I come back after the break, we will finish up with this week's episode. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Okay, so let's get on to tip three, which is arrive early. Now, as I mentioned, I'm becoming a fan of finding the shot once I arrive somewhere. I love looking for that different angle or unique perspective. For me, the hunt is almost as much fun as the final product. Knowing that this is part of how I compose my shots, I need to arrive with plenty of time to explore. Now, whether you're shooting a portrait, a social event, wildlife, landscape, having a good idea of current conditions and possibilities will help you react better when the shooting starts. So always plan to arrive at your destination ahead of time. Now, one of my most popular images is a sunrise shot that I captured on the beach at Tybee Island, Georgia, back in 2014. And in order to get the shot, I woke up at 4 a.m., had my breakfast and coffee, and arrived on the beach a good 45 minutes before sunrise. And as a result, I got an absolutely amazing image where the entire scene is a brilliant orange as the sun came up. And I did no post-processing. This image is straight out of the camera. And you'll be able to see the image for yourself. I'll include it in the show notes. Now, when I say the image is popular, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just sharing information. But I posted the image on a website that I participate on called IM. That's E-Y-E-E-M. And it's a photography site. You can join for free and you can upload your images and you can submit them to an online marketplace. Now, once they review your images, if they feel your images are strong enough, they will also submit them to their partner, Getty Images. And this Tybee Island sunrise shot has been on Getty Images for a few years now. I think I first posted it there in 2015, so six years now. And I've sold, last time I checked, around 8,000 copies of this image, which isn't too shabby for six years. Now, I'm not getting rich off the sales, but I'm making some decent money here and there. Sometimes I make a, a good chunk of change if somebody orders a canvas print. Sometimes it's just a few dollars because somebody bought it to use in a brochure or to use on a website or something like that. So that just gives you an idea. If you concentrate on 
the subject of composition and learning and mastering composition, then you'll be more successful as a photographer. Now, I'm not saying I'm the most successful photographer in the world, hardly. I'm not a world famous photographer like Chase Jarvis or Ansel Adams or Annie Leibovitz or any of those other people, but I've had my share of success. I've got a National Geographic cover, which a lot of people can't say, and I've had a lot of success with my photos on websites like Getty Images. But anyways, let's move on. Composition techniques. So these are some of the compositional techniques you can use in your photos. The first is selective focus. If you or I were sharing a scene with someone famous, it would be hard to showcase us with them being on the screen as well. Unless we did something to really put the emphasis on ourselves. Selective focus is a great way to have something iconic in your frame with something that is less iconic in the background. By putting one subject in focus and having the other blurry, you can place importance on one subject more than the other. This is usually done by experimenting with depth of field and can really help make a composition more concise and interesting. Another great way to accomplish this is with using a specialty lens such as the Lens Baby, which I've mentioned in several previous episodes. The Lens Baby not only allows you to create strong selective focus, but to also play around with shapes in your bokeh to make your images stronger compositionally. Needless to say, this technique is great for wildlife and portrait photography. When you have a single point of focus where the image has one main subject and everything else is very subdued, it can guide the viewer's eye straight into the subject in your composition, which is what you're trying to accomplish. Next, let's talk about simplicity. When you are overwhelmed by a grand scene and there is too much going on, try to ask yourself, what do I find the most interesting here? Then make the entire image about that item. Keep it simple. Show the viewer just the thing you want. Not every image has to have a killer foreground with three or four subjects leading into an amazing sky in order to keep the viewer interested. Use rules and ratios. In photography, there are a lot of golden rules and ratios that can be used to help highlight points of interest in your composition. These ratios divide the frame into the key areas by using lines and curves where your eye is naturally more likely to go. The point of these ratios is to help you to place elements within a composition where the eye of the viewer is most likely to gravitate, as well as to put subjects and angles in positions where they may be drawn or may help to draw the eye around the frame. Lightroom and Photoshop both have overlays for all of the different ratios that I will mention below, so you can see how your photos line up with them. First, we have the rule of thirds. The rule of thirds uses key intersection points and breaks the scene up into thirds vertically and horizontally. In the grid where these lines intersect are the points where you should try to put your main subjects. 
I like to keep the grid view turned on in my EBF to help me use the rule of thirds, and I recommend you do so as well. If you're using a DSLR, you can still use the grid view if you shoot using your rear LCD, which works in the same way as an EVF. Now we have reflections and dynamic foreground. Two of my favorite things to look for when composing a shot are reflections and a dynamic foreground. I'll look for water anywhere to use in an image. Reflections not only capture an additional image of the main subject, and what's better than one dynamic subject, why two of them? But water will also hold any color from the sky, giving you all kinds of added excitement to an image. When there isn't any water, I'll look for other kinds of dynamic foregrounds, such as an old tree stump, beds of flowers, interesting foliage, cracked earth, anything that will fill the foreground within my frame and help me to add interest to the overall scene. What's even better is if the foreground contains lines that will lead toward my subject. While these types of foreground are associated mostly with landscape photography, with a little bit of creativity, they can be great in urban, wedding, and portrait work as well. For portrait and product work, foregrounds don't have to be as dynamic, but take care to eliminate any distractions that may draw attention away from your main subject, or you can end up with a bad composition that breaks the story that you're trying to tell. Next, we have contrast. People usually think of a balance between light and dark when they think of contrast. While there's certainly something useful to have in your pocket when composing an image, think of other ways that things can contrast and look for those as well. There can be contrast in the form of big and small, old and new, alive and dead, hot and cold, or fast and slow. There are so many different ways to tell a story with contrasting elements other than just light and dark. Look at your subject. Find things that contrast with it and try to use them as part of your overall composition. Focused light. Almost any time that the sky opens up and gives you wonderful rays of sunlight, an interesting shot is just waiting to be captured. Focused light automatically gives you a point of interest due to the contrast it creates between light and dark areas within the scene. Natural framing. Once you find your subject, you can look for ways to frame that subject within the image. Maybe there are some trees that can bend around the subject, or a hole in a wall, or a rock that you can use to make an interesting frame. Perhaps you can even utilize parts of a wall or an old building to create a frame around your subject. Don't be afraid to use that zoom. This is different to just filling the frame. This technique requires that you find the most interesting parts of a scene and make the image about that section of the image. Sometimes powerful images can be made by compressing a scene and zooming in, thus eliminating possible distractions from your composition. Now on the flip side, sometimes your lens won't give you the ability to incorporate all the best parts of the scene into a single shot. The best image might be made by zooming out 
and going as wide as you can. Shoot vertical. When it comes to landscape images in particular, people get very stagnant with shooting horizontally. Remember that you can shoot vertically also and compose that way as well. Similar to shooting in horizontal format, you can compose using the rules, ratios, and techniques that I outlined above. Combine composition techniques. Each of the above compositional techniques are great to help you start making images that are more visually appealing, but they can be combined for an even better effect. The more ways that you can draw a viewer's eye into the image and keep it there, the better your overall image will be. How can you improve composition and editing? It's important that you learn to use post-processing tools so that you can make edits in your composition. I like to tell people that no matter how good the image is when you capture it, it's only about 70% finished. About 25-30% to 30 of the image is how it's processed. Can people take post-processing too far? Absolutely. But part of your style will be how you process your images. There are numerous great tutorials out there that you can buy or find online that will give you all kinds of new ways to see your finished images. Remember, the goal is to never process just like the person showing you their workflow. Rather, you should aim to find a few little things from different sources that you can combine with your own editing ideas to help your vision emerge. I've been using Photoshop for over 20 years, and I still look for new ways to process files all the time. Vignette. Adding a vignette around an image can help to pull the eye away from the edge and towards the middle of the frame and improve your overall composition. Be careful, though, as too much vignette can also be distracting. Cropping. Sometimes when I'm in field, I'll shoot intentionally a little wider than I should. This gives me room to crop a little when I process. I'm constantly surprised at the little things that I might miss along the edge of a frame or how badly I didn't keep the horizon or, or the horizon straight. I apologize. Now, if you're hand-holding images, there's always a better chance you'll need to do some post-processing, image straightening to improve your composition when you're editing. Converting an image to black and white. Color images, again, are great, but remember that photography was a black and white medium before color film came on the scene. I've taken images in the middle of the day that, I, that looked drab and boring in color, but they had a great tonal range. So when I converted them to black and white, they really popped and stood out. Now, there are other ways to improve your composition skills in photography. In addition to all of the little tips that I've mentioned before, there are many other ways that you can learn to master the art of composition. Step one, take a workshop or hire a photographer. How many times have you seen a photograph online and thought, I've been there. How did they see that shot? Photography workshops are great ways to get to amazing locations 
and have a professional or two on hand to give you useful tips. Seeing what the other photographers in the group create can also give you some ideas on how to improve your own compositions. Watch what your instructors shoot and how they work. Taking private lessons will ensure that you have more attention to your own photographic process as opposed to a large group with more needs and logistics. Step two, look at other photos for inspiration. I think looking at other people's photography is really helpful in improving your own work. I love looking at all types of photography, and oftentimes photographers and other genres of photography will do things differently or in a way that I find I can apply to my own work. For instance, a lot of techniques that get used for composition and portrait photography can be translated into wildlife photography and vice versa. I also like to look at bad photos and try to figure out how I might improve on the composition if I were there taking the shot. If you've been listening to this show for a while now or know me in real life, you know that one of my all-time favorite photographers is Ansel Adams and another is Chase Jarvis. Both of these men are masters at composition. Adams generally kept things simple yet powerful in his image and used a lot of black and white photography. Chase, on the other hand, loves to think outside the box and come up with new and innovative ways to make his images, and this leads to extremely strong compositions and colors in his work. Step three, be patient. Photographers need to realize that composition is the hardest part of photography. Mastering composition is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen after one photography workshop either. It's a process that develops over time. Anyone can learn to use camera settings. That's the easy part. The art form in the medium of photography comes from being able to see images in the field and then having the skill set to take that vision from the field into the computer so that you can finish it. Step four, practice. The more you shoot, the better you'll get at composition. You need to be out shooting often in order to improve your skills. You're developing a skill and like any other skill, the more you work at it, the better your compositions will become. Even when you don't have a camera with you, you can set up compositions in your head for the way you would shoot if you did have your camera with you. Try framing things with your hands and see what you can come up with. So in conclusion, in the end, as challenging as composition may be, it is where the creativity with photography comes in. Any one of us can go to the same location at the same time of day but it's what we do with the camera that sets us apart as photographers. Now that you've got some background knowledge of compositional concepts, principles, and techniques, you can start to look out for those elements while you're out shooting and apply them to your images. When you look at other photos, try to find these elements of composition within them. See how other photographers utilize them. 
Successful compositions often contain many of the strategies that I've listed in this episode used in a harmonious and aesthetically pleasing way. Now again, mastering composition won't happen in a weekend. It takes time. So be patient with yourself. Keep looking for inspiration from others and keep an eye trained on how their photos might work compositionally. Most importantly, get out there with your camera and start practicing. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, so that is going to wrap up episode 173 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iHeartRadio and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. And also, thank you for being patient with me on getting this episode put together. It was one I'd wanted to do for a few weeks, but I had to wait until everything was just right to actually get it recorded because I knew it was going to be a bit of a lengthy episode at almost an hour long. And I wanted to be able to dedicate my focus and attention to this episode. Now, as I mentioned, if you go to the show notes for this episode, you can see some of my images and some of my compositional uh, choices and the way I compose some of my work. And it'll give you a little bit of something to think about. Now, I also wanted to remind my listeners, be sure to enter the newest contest where I'll be giving away a winner wireless lavalier microphone system. Uh, you'll be able to find the link to the contest in the show notes, and you can submit four entries from the contest link once you pull that up. So you can have up to four entries to try to win that item. Also, when you get if you get a chance, please be sure to stop by Liam Photography on YouTube. Check out my channel, subscribe, watch the videos, like them, share them out, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new content drops. I will be doing some new equipment reviews this week um, and releasing them in the very near future. So you'll want to check those out for sure. Uh, because one of the products I'm going to be reviewing, I will be including a discount code for my listeners so that you can save some money if you decide to purchase that item. So there you go, a little bit of uh, a discount as well. So make sure you stop by and subscribe to the channel. You can also give some love to the YouTube channels for Forgotten Pieces of Georgia and Forgotten Pieces of Pennsylvania. All right, I am going to wrap this up and I will see you all again on Sunday for the latest news and rumors. 